702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, streaming countrywide. On the Prime Media Plus app. Yes, TV channel 856. 92.7. And 106 FM. Coming up on the show today, two SANDF soldiers have been killed in the DRC, three others injured in a mortar attack. Police Minister Becky Tele promotes fitness and a healthy lifestyle for the country's cops. Gupta associate Anuj Singh wants his bail conditions relaxed so he can go be a CEO in Dubai. And our book of the week is a South African true, true, true crime classic. We have renowned serial killer profiler Dr. Mickey Pistorius on the show today. Don't miss it. All of that over the next hour. 702. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. Uh, we'll bring you the latest from Anuj Singh's bail application taking place today. The investigating directorate updating us on that one. Do you think that Anuj Singh should go and be a CEO in Dubai, considering he is one of the accused in a state capture case? Do you think that he will come back again, um, considering our our relations really with the UAE in terms of getting the Guptas back here. Send me a WhatsApp voice note 0727021702072567 Well let's start with the breaking news from the South African National Defence Force this morning. Tragic news that two of our soldiers have been killed in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Three others have been injured. We know that our troops were deployed to the DRC to fight against illegal armed groups in the country's east. 2,900 SNDF members are there at the moment, and we know this is part of the SADC mission to support the DRC. They were deployed in December last year. So let's find out what happened in this incident. Sipiwet Lamini is the spokesperson for the Department of Defence. Sipiwet, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. What can you tell us about this incident? Good, good, good afternoon, Mandy, and uh, to your listeners. Let me just correct a little, a little, um, a, rather make a little correction here. The 2,900 members are not in the DRC yet, but the forward team or the forward elements are in the DRC uh, to scan the environment and also um, setting up uh, with the equipment. So. Not, not the okay. 2,000 members are in the DRC as yet. But the, but uh, the president did in, order the deployment the, of, of 2,900. The, the, the president, the president, um, um, uh, what, how do I put it? Um, uh, agreed that we can we can deploy 2,900. The deployment does not take place once. Yeah, it's a phase in deployment. Yes, understood. Yes, yes, Mandy. So, so it coming back to this incident. Um, I think around about one uh, thirty uh, DRC time or Eastern DRC time, um, um, a, a motor bomb landed inside one of the bases where we are setting up uh, a military bases, and and that caused uh, casualties and, and injuries to the members of the defence force that are in that base. And as a result, um, there was indirect fire that uh, we suffered two uh, fatalities and three members were injured. And those that were injured have been taken to the nearest hospital in in, in Goma. What do we know about the, the conditions of the three? The, the three are, are, are in a stable condition uh, and they are being cared for uh, by by the, the 
the medical um, uh, practitioners who are there, and of course uh, they are under the 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 care of uh, the hospital in Goma. The the actual incident itself um, it details thereof are a bit sketchy at the moment, and therefore our our members who are on the ground there are scanning the the environment for uh, uh, to determine what actually. Uh, happened and 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 we will get those reports as as the the story develops. Just to try and make sure that that we understand this uh, CPUS. So, um, if yeah. the full deployment wasn't there and this was an advanced group, um, would this have been a kind of incident that could have been anticipated? Did they expect this kind of um, uh, a combat? If you say it was indirect fire, um, would this have been something that they would have been cautious about? Well, um, there, there are all possibilities. As you plan and um, and um, uh, uh, look at all the policy possibilities, uh, you do take into consideration uh, anything of this nature that might happen. Look, this is a base in in this area, and it is set up there precisely because there is um, it's an it's, it's an area where there's, there's uh, uh, action around that so you are bound to to uh, encounter such incidences but uh, it, it, it's a matter that we are looking at and, and are trying to figure out uh, how could how this happened and um, uh, those behind it because it's, it's, it's still too early to speculate as to this group or that group could okay. have uh, done this, yeah. Uh, so, Piwen, just a reminder about why we have got troops in the DRC. Why do we have uh, troops in, in that country at the moment? Let, 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 let's go back a bit. Um, one of the main reasons we have troops in the DRC is that one of the pillars of South Africa's policy position is to contribute to the creation of peace and stability in the region, the continent, and, and, and the world at large. And um, uh, one of uh, our defense um, role is stipulated in the Constitution that uh, uh, we have also international uh, obligations. Now, remember, we are a fourth contributing country in the United Nations mission under MONUSCO. We still have troops there under MONUSCO. As you might know, uh, Mandy, uh, MONUSCO is downscaling, and a decision by SADC was taken that... Uh, uh, as MONUSCO is downscaling, uh, we can't leave uh, a gap uh, in that sense. And, and, and SADAC then took a decision that a SADAC mission must be uh, 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 deployed in the TRC. As MONUSCO downscales, SADAC then moves in. But so, basically, yeah. ours is to contribute to peace and stability and, uh, and uh, create uh, a, a situation where there's normalcy and uh, people go, get, get, go on with their normal lives. Sapiwe, thank you very much for, for that. Uh, Sapiwe Dlamini, spokesperson for the Department of Defense, explaining that incident earlier today. Uh, listening to that and to give us more analysis is uh, Daniel van Dalen, Senior Analyst uh, for Country and Political Risk at Signal Risk. Daniel, good afternoon to you. Thank you for your time. Uh, this incident, th- there have been warnings that uh, if we are going to send troops to the Eastern DRC, that means there could well be casualties. Um, that is is the nature of, of um, sending troops into an area like this. Does this come as a surprise to you? Um, not particularly. Um, I think, you know, if we look at the escalation of the conflict, 
which you know is really stemming from the M22 rebel group, um, which first kind of started their activity. I mean, you can go back to 2012, 2013, but they started a renewed campaign at end of 2021. And in the past couple of weeks, we have now seen a huge escalation in fighting around the north capital of Goma, and fighting is really centered on the uh, nearby town of Sak, Sake. And that's basically where this incident took place, where M23 has been bombarding with mortars for the past week and a half, um, and where the static troops were deployed recently due to that escalation and conflict. So, unfortunately, static has arrived at the best time, but at the worst time, um, you know, where M23 has scaled up its operations, but Obviously, now this makes it far more dangerous in terms of the ability to prepare um, because TADIC has basically arrived as it's already ongoing. Um, and so they've arrived in a very volatile situation. So this arguably was to be expected, especially in a sense where you, they are fighting alongside a Congolese military that is very under, underfunded. Um, you know, they have employed militias to help them. Um, so, no, I don't think this necessarily comes as a surprise um, to many. Uh, uh, what are some of the concerns around us uh, deploying? Um, I know there's, there's been a concern around expenditure, so how much it costs, also the, the potential loss of life. Um, and do you feel that we are sufficiently prepared to be doing this kind of intervention? Um, no. <laughs> I think, you know, there were concerns when South Africa deployed to Mozambique that we were underfunded, under-resourced. Um, you know, and I think the same concerns are happening here and especially in the sense that you are fighting a far more, um, you know, sophisticated adversary in a sense where, you know, M23 is backed by Rwanda. They are being supported with, you know, weapons. There's a UN report that came out now that <laughs> M23 has surface-to-air missile systems and, you know, very ad- advanced weapons. So I think in a sense that, you know, there have been myriad reports about how, you know, the South African National Defence Force lacks resources, funding training, all of those types of things. Um, So I think, unfortunately, at present, we are going in under-resourced, and I think that is going to be the biggest concern going forward, is that how does SADC and obviously the South African troops, alongside a relatively ineffective Congolese military and a MINUSCO mission that is constrained in their ability to conduct offensive operations, how can they actually fight a group like M23 that is better equipped, in a sense? So do we have a choice in this matter as a country? Because we have deployed as part of this uh, SADC mission in the DRC. Um, the presidency saying the obligation to contribute to troops in the DRC is borne by all SADC member states. So can South Africa say, actually, this is not something that we're willing to do? Um, well, I mean, there are a lot of SADC states that are not joining. Um, you know, so I think technically, yes. Um, you know, how much you want to deploy is this entirely up to you. We saw that with Mozambique. As well, um, you know, some countries put in 50 people, others put in 2,000 to 3,000. Um, so I think it's very much a choice in that regard. I think, however, um, you know, if you go back to when M23 first did its rebellion in 2012, 2013, um, you know, South Africa and static troops were the leading force of the United Nations Force Intervention Brigade that kind of led to the ultimate defeat. So, you know, if you've looked at all the static rhetoric around it, there's a lot of um, concerns about how they defeated them in 2012 while they're back, and we can do it again. So, you know, the guys that were the countries that were focused there, such as Malawi, um, 
Tanzania and South Africa, they are also the biggest contributors now. So I think there's a lot of that component to it as well. Um, you also do have a sense where South Africa is trying to grow relations with the DRC. Um, so I think there's a lot of factors at play here stemming from the old rebellion, uh, obviously a duty as a SADC member. Um, and I just think, you know, there's also perhaps a foreign policy aspect from the presidency to try and reassert South Africa, um, you know, on the continent. Daniel, thank you very much. Uh, Daniel van Dalen, senior analyst at uh, Signal Risk, speaking to us there. And uh, that news coming through today that two soldiers have died in the Eastern DRC, three others wounded as well. And of course, our condolences to their families. Um, and just sadly, I think this is this is ominous that there could be more of these. Seven o two, the midday report, Monday to Friday, twelve to one p.m. Happening in Pretoria today, the South African Police Service celebrating its annual National Police Day. They're promoting fitness and wellness within their ranks. So the police minister, Becky Kele, has been speaking there. Um, he's been speaking about a number of things, but uh, primarily, of course, about this issue of making sure that police officers are fit. Have a listen to what Becky Kele had to say. This day of fitness of the police should be a daily occurrence. You must stay fit. It is on that score. Uh, Commissioner, we haven't had the report back on the memorandum of understanding that you have signed with the fitness houses. We haven't had the feedback. How many of our members have taken that opportunity of the reduced premiums? We want to hear that. And they must tell us if they don't go there why they can't go in a reduced kind of premiums to go and gym and be fit. I can demand the young bonny police fit. The bonny police are as he walks, either as a girl or boy. Your body must tell us that you, be, you, be, you belong to a special group of people. Bang at booze. Your body must tell the story. You must have a whole body, not a mum body. Um, He has also been speaking about the backlog of DNA tests that have been cleared, saying the new system at the laboratory services is working and the sound is courtesy of Newsroom Africa. I want to thank National Commissioner and your deputies for the good work that you have done when it comes to one area where with a lot of pressure, the DNA in laboratories. Yesterday, it was read in Parliament by the, by the Minister of Justice that when once upon a time we had five, we had 251,000 backlog of DNA samples, today we have zero. I mean zero as the backlog on that. But I also read from the independent paper called Agas about how have you increased the fast forwarding and the best efficiency when you deal with the DNA and the laboratories and the outcome. To say it has never been this good is not said by the police, it's said by the media. People that don't like us much, but on this one, they were very kind to say, I don't think that they say that because they like us. They say that because we do it. Well, 
didn't speak about all the media like that minister. That's the police minister, Becky Tele, um, celebrating the annual police day by promoting fitness and wellness within its ranks. Well, police minister Becky Tele has also been the subject um, of a an address today by the Democratic Alliance, which is holding its true state of the province address in Gauteng that's being delivered by the opposition party leader, Soli Msimanga. Uh, Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, following that one for us. Tabiso, good afternoon to you. What did Salim Simanga have to say about policing in the province? Good afternoon, uh, Mandy. Well, I can tell you, Mandy, that um, one of the two words that uh, Salim Simanga used a lot, it has to be devolved and decentralized, which basically um, interchangeably mean the same thing. So what he's proposing, um, or what the DA government is proposing here in, in Gauteng, is that they want the powers um, of the of the national um, of the national government to be devolved into into the provincial government. So this includes for schools, this includes for infrastructure, this includes for rail, and most importantly, it includes for police. So you know, um, I think this is obviously something that is not very um, new with the DA. In terms, of they believe that the national government um, does not um, does not have the capacity to obviously deal with uh, some of the issues that are being faced um, by provincial governments. And also, when we spoke about, um, you know, devolving um, the police, um, Simana says, you know, not all provinces face the same issues. So you look at a province like Gauteng, where there's obviously a lot of mines, and it's, you know, there issues like uh, you need a specialized unit that will need um, you know, to actually go there underground and fight Zamazamas. Well, obviously, um, a province like maybe Durban doesn't exactly have Zamazamas. So that is what he's saying, that, you know, a lot of these issues can be fixed on a provincial level, and they sometimes do not require um, the, the national government. So that's pretty much been the key um, the key issues that uh, Solim Simanga, who is the DA's Gauteng Premier candidate, has been raising here, Mandy. Um, he, this is what he had to say, um, obviously, on this issue of uh, police devol- de- devolving um, the powers to the provincial government. Until such time as we decentralize the police mm-hmm. in South Africa, we will not be able to then get anywhere. Mm-hmm. The crimes that are committed in Gauteng will be very different to the crimes that are committed in Limpopo, will be very different to the crimes that are committed in the Eastern Cape, and therefore requires a different kind of thinking. It requires decentralizing. We cannot have Begitele dictating to all provincial commissioners what they need to do. We need to, first of all, take politics out of policing. We need to, second of all, ensure that those that are at the provincial level are equipped and empowered to do what needs to be done. Now we've heard about Panyaza and the so-called uh, Amapanya Panya and all of that. But what needed to happen is that we needed to ensure that we fight to decentralize the police service so that the police at the provincial level can be recruited, can be trained, can be deployed at a provincial level. In Gauteng, we need quite a number of um, units, specialized units. We need a drug unit in Gauteng to fight the scare of drugs in Gauteng. We need a gang unit in Gauteng to fight the scourge of gangs and where the gangs find themselves. Thank you very much to Tabiso Goba for that report and that sound that Solim Simanga, the DA leader in Gauteng, delivering its uh, true state of the province address. What's up, Mandy? On 072-702-1702. Good day, Mandy. 
mainly when we ask, ask for soldiers to fight crime that is happening in South Africa, we are told about budget. We are told that the SNDF doesn't have budget. But now they are sending soldiers to DRC with a cost of 2 billion rand. I, I don't understand the rest. This Ramaphosa guy, no. This guy, he have a lot of problem. Look, I think there's going to be a, a lot of this kind of reaction now, considering the fact that we, we, we have fatalities. Um, and already there's a lot of criticism. Why do we have troops in the Eastern DRC? Is it necessary? If other SADC countries are not sending troops, why are we doing this? Is it the correct use of budget? Um, as you say, because we haven't got budget for, for other things. So I think that uh, uh, Ramaphosa is going to face a lot of pressure here um, and is is there an obligation do we have to be doing this because that's what the presidency is saying is that it is an obligation to SADC what's up Mandy on 072-702-1702 good day uh, Mandy it's no man and Peter. I think these South African uh, soldiers being deployed in the DRC raises uh, a lot of questions uh, as your analyst uh, Mr. Daniel has indicated but I think also it's uh, political and uh, one of the reasons uh, it is rumored that uh, the reason South Africa has invested our soldiers in the DRC is uh, the question of uh, the companies of the prominent business people in South Africa like your Patrice uh, Motsepe etc. They've got vested interests so our government is protecting those interests and uh, I don't know if uh, we can uh, waste expenditure on protecting those interests. Yeah, I think that, uh, as I said, there's going to be a lot of backlash here around this. Um, I don't know that much about what you're suggesting in terms of, of our interests. If it is rumor, then, you know, of course, uh, if it's reported, that's a, that's a different story. But I do think we have to question our motivation about why this is happening. Um, on the WhatsApp line, Mandy's now obligation to SADC at a cost of over $2 billion puts our whole country's security at risk. This is an absolute lack of leadership. Um, Mandy Becky-Kele once again playing to the fool's gallery. Um yeah, and this is definitely something that is going to be of extreme concern, the fact that we now have two fatalities uh, and three injured. Um, and that's only our forward deployment group. That's not the full deployment of 2,900 that we can still expect over the next year. 702, the midday report, Monday to Friday, 12 to 1 p.m. Just to give you a quick update with what's happening at the Palm Ridge Magistrates Court today, the Gupta associate, Anuj Singh, is asking that court to relax his bail conditions because he wants to take up a job as a chief executive officer in Dubai. You'll know, of course, that he is amongst the accused in the Transnet matter. He's out on 50,000 rand bail. That's the 398.4 million rand Transnet fraud and corruption conditions. Um, So according to a report, in News 24, the job offer which he submitted to the court shows that the duration of the contract is five years and the offer comes from a company called Buy for Rich. That's what it's called, which advertises itself on LinkedIn as a quintessential health and wellness brand that combines nature with luxury. Um, It says it's a trailblazer of luxurious products, but um, it doesn't have a website. So the NPA is opposing this application, saying, well, if he goes to Dubai, we don't have great relations with the UAE in terms of getting people back as evidenced by the Gupta brothers. Um, So that's what's happening at the moment. Argument there underway. The state is yet to respond, so we'll keep watching that one. 
702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. In the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein today, a decision on AfriForum's application for the recusal of one of the five judges hearing the Kill the Boer case against the EFF. Khomoto Modise, EWN reporter, is following that story for us. Khomoto, we were expecting a decision. Has one been handed down? Not yet, Mandy. We're currently hearing arguments um, from uh, the lawyers that are representing Justice Raylene Cately, and we have um, Advocate uh, Ngugai Tobi arguing there on her behalf. Uh, he actually just started, but I just caught um, uh, just a bit of uh, his address, and he's speaking about how this application is actually abusive. He says that, um, you know, AfriForum and its lawyers were aware of these views or the sentiments that have been that had been expressed by Judge Keatley uh, all the way in 2018 and if they really felt that she was biased in their in her approach towards AfriForum they could have done something about about it then and so he's really just pointed out how he says it's abusive that they're coming now. Just remind us uh, what uh, what the issue is here what did uh, Judge Raylene Keatley say about AfriForum? So she was presiding over the UNISA matter, it was the UNISA language policy matter and uh, what happened was they were, AfriForum was applying for leave to appeal and they approached the High Court for that and she had then, um, you know, uh, uh, actually granted them leave to appeal and uh, she said she could not um, dismiss or you know, quote unquote, declined. But what she then said was that um, AfriForum, and this was a comment that she made at the very end of proceedings, she said AfriForum in its nature um, was anachronistic. It's a big word, right? Which basically means backward looking, right? So they are a rather backward organization. And she said, I'm saying this as a white South African, um, that your views and your positions are rather backward looking. And so they feel that the views that she holds about them are rather strong, but they are also personal and they cannot be limited to the language policy issue. This is one of the questions that was asked by uh, Judge Matojani that is this really, uh, are these her views about everything with regards to AfriForum in general or were they limited to the language policy issue? And her lawyers have been arguing all morning that they cannot be limited to the language policy issue because she used the term, she says they have anachronistic um, uh, processes or positions and they feel that that's all encompassing and not just about the language policy issue. Khomoto, thank you very much. Khomoto Medise having a look at that matter before the SCA uh, in Bloemfontein having to make a decision there on AfriForum's application for the recusal of uh, the acting judge, Raylene Cately, uh, saying that uh, her decisions um, uh, follow um, that she is unwilling or she shouldn't be sitting uh, in this matter because she has shown a degree of bias. 702. 702. Mandy Wiener. Weekdays, 12 to 1 p.m. The EFF leader, Julius Malema, briefing the media following the party's election manifesto launch in KwaZulu-Natal at the weekend. Alpha Ramashwana is watching that briefing for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Uh, take us through what Julius Malema has been saying. Good afternoon, Mandy. Yes, uh, the EFF leader, Julius Malema, is currently speaking here at the party's headquarters in Johannesburg. And uh, he has, of course, started by speaking about the EFF's election uh, manifesto uh, that was in uh, the case and of course we do remember that the party was criticized so much during those times uh, with many people saying that uh, their election manifesto may have failed but of course man he has come out to defend it and said that the party has proved that it actually has a 
a national footprint uh, saying that, uh, you know, the stadium was actually filled uh, to capacity. And of course, he has also been speaking about the party's list conference. We do know that immediately after the EFF's uh, manifesto launch in Durban. They had a list conference, a two-day list conference in Durban where uh, they submitted names that will be in public office following the general elections. And he's also set out, uh, you know, criteria. Um, 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 he's saying that the minimum requirement uh, for anyone to hold public office uh, um, is, you know, a, a metric qualification. He's also saying they need 50% of women uh, holding public office also says that uh, the EFF will make sure that at least 40% of the people it deploys to public office as young people. He's also just uh, also reacted on the South African National Defense's forced deployment of soldiers to the DRC. Uh, he's saying that he feels that it was a little bit too mature, uh, making reference to uh, what he believes is that uh, South African troops are not actually trained well and they're actually sending them to uh, their deathbed there. I mean, we do know, Mandy, that earlier this morning, the National Defense Force announced that uh, two soldiers have died uh, after uh, uh, a bomb landed uh, at, the, at the South Africa's base in the DRC. So he says that that deployment was uh, irrational and it doesn't make sense yet. He feels that South Africa needs to train its troops before actually deploying people uh, um, um, to places like the DRC where, you know, conflicts are arising at the moment. Alpha, thank you for that. Uh, Alpha Ramashwana at that briefing underway at the moment by EFF leader Julius Malema. 702 and Cape Talk. Book of the Week. It's Thursday, and on Thursdays on the Midday Report, we speak to the author of a local nonfiction book. And I'm so excited about this one because if you are a fan of true crime in South Africa, this is uh, an absolute classic. So from 1994 until 2000, when uh, we were a young democracy, um, and there was a, a series of brutal serial killers, psychologist Dr. Mickey Pistorius became the first profiler for the South African Police Service. She played a vital role in identifying these killers, interrogating them, and then training detectives nationally. Um, she also broke ground with her theory on the origin of serial killers. So she's really considered a trailblazer in her field and a doyen in the true crime uh, industry as well. So now the book has been made into a TV series on Showmax. There's a new edition of Catch Me a Killer as well. So there's updates because um, things have happened uh, in, uh, since um, the, over the last 25 years or so, such as the parole of Norman Simons, um, the station strangler, and uh, have a listen to the trailer for the Showmax series to whet your appetite. Here is to Mickey Pistorius. May she never tire of catching killers. Here, here. And my job requires that I immerse myself in that guy's mind. I look at what he's done and I have to imagine committing those crimes. Your mind might not be able to process everything that's been thrown at it. I'm really worried about you. They need me. They can't do it without me. These calls are terrified. There's nothing else we can do. Are you giving up? We're getting closer. But you have to trust me. <laughs> There's just so many dead women. They have to go deeper. Why did it take you so long to catch me?
Sure, that is chilling stuff. So that's the uh, TV series out now on Showmax. And what a pleasure to welcome psychologist, profiler and author, Dr. Mickey Pistorius today. Good afternoon, Dr. Pistorius. Hello, Mandy. Nice to speak to you again. So it's a great month for you. Um, it's the launch of your updated Catch Me a Killer book. The TV series is out. You also have a YouTube channel called Profiler on, on Record, um, which supports the, the show. Um, tell us about, about what's been happening and, and how all of this came to fruition. Yes, that's right. As you said, the book has been updated, so there's a new version out, and there's a whole new generation that doesn't even know about the book. So the book is about my an autobiography about my life as a profiler. And then about five years ago, I sold the rights to CMAC, and they cooperated with Night Train as a German company and with our own Emnet, and they produced the TV series Catch Me a Killer, which is on Showmax, as you said. So then as well, I um, have a YouTube channel, which is called Mickey Pistorius, Profile of Serial Killers. So you can watch the YouTube series, so you watch one episode of Showmax and then you go to my YouTube and you subscribe to my YouTube channel. You don't have to have the Showmax, you can still go to my YouTube channel because I will discuss that episode, the TV episode with you, but so much more because so many people have so many questions. So my, my aim with the YouTube channel was to be authentic and informative and I hope inspirational. So I will give you the true authentic psychology behind the criminal mind. And I think that's what most people want. I, I don't rely on horror clickbait, sensationalism or synthetic sensationalism. I will tell you the definitions about serial killers, organized, disorganized serial killers, are right. all of them psychopaths. You know, um, what is staging on a crime scene? What is an insanity plea? You know, Post-traumatic stress. So everything that has to do with the criminal mind and the psychology behind it, you're not going to get an intelligent person telling you everything that you want mm. to know about criminal profiling on the YouTube channel. You speak about synthetic sensationalism, um, and we now have yes. a TV series being made about this, this book. And the book was first published in 2000, so it's 24 years ago. How do you feel watching... Um, Parts of it are fictionalized. Um, a lot of it is, is true to the, the story. How do you feel watching the TV series? I must say it was awkward for me at first and overwhelming somebody making you know, a TV series of your life. You know, and, and of course they exaggerate, but that's, that's fine. You know, and, and there's a bit of fiction in it. But I was so impressed. You heard her now on, on your preview there, Charlotte Hope, which is the British actress, which plays my role. Uh, you know, and, and she was the deal breaker for me because I sometimes look at it and I think, my goodness, she's a better profiler than what I was. <laughs> you know, so she's absolutely fantastic. And with a TV series, I'm so impressed with, with all the acting. You know, the actors, South African actors are fantastic. The little boys that play the victim in, you know, in the Station Strangler case. Kehisu Capus is the actor that plays the Station Strangler. But we have, we have about eight different serial killers that are, that is in this TV series. Um, also, the set design, you know, it is set in the 1990s in Cape Town. Now, Warren Gray, who's, you know, who's the set designer, and his team has been nominated for an award in the British Filmmakers Set Designers Guild. So good is this series. So it sure. is a fantastic series. Obviously, they exaggerate sometimes or, you know, fictionalized. But then you can see the YouTube series for, you know, just to put, set the record straight. Mm. But it is a fantastic series. I'm, I'm really very, very happy with it. 
In the book, you speak uh, in depth about um, your theory around the origin of serial killers, but you also speak about um, picking up the killers in your mind. Uh, and you describe all of that about going into the abyss. People often wonder if you are clairvoyant. How do you, how do you describe that? I'm not clairvoyant at all. Okay, I'm a neuropsychologist. Okay, so in this YouTube series as well, I'll explain to you the scientific concepts of Carl Jung. He had neuroception. Okay, how does your how does your senses play in through the thalamus on your brain? Because and then there's David Hawkins. He wrote a book, Power versus Force, and that explains that emotions have measurable energy. Now, there's a lot of emotion on a crime scene. Your first law of thermodynamics that states that energy cannot dissipate. Okay, so the energy of the emotions is still there. And in psychology, we have theory of mind explaining how psychologists are able to pick up and tune into the client's emotions. So in one of the episodes, I couldn't remember which one on the YouTube, I will explain to you all these scientific theories of how this happens. Now, all of us can actually do this. If you visit your friends and they've just had a fight when you walk in, you pick up the energy. There's a different energy in a cathedral is in a cemetery. We can all run, but athletes are better because they practice. So in the same way, profilers and psychologists can pick up on energy mm. of emotions. And that's the scientific explanation for how it happens. Mm. So there's nothing hocus-pocus about it. Uh, you, obviously, the book is updated, right? Because it's 24, yes. almost 25 years later. Um, one of the chapters is about Norman Simons, uh, who um, was convicted for being the station strangler. He has been released now. Uh, there's still quite a bit of controversy around this, around whether or not he really was the station strangler. What are your views on this? I have no doubt that he was the station strangler. All right. Few, few facts here. Very few people are privy to inside information in the investigation. When he was arrested during his interrogation, he demonstrated to the detectives how he killed two boys at once. He also pointed out those crime scenes. Also, no similar crimes in, of, of those little boys happened after that. He made a confession to a magistrate. So all of that is there. That's docketed. Okay. So what happened is because the crimes had been committed over so many years, Mike Stowe, the prosecutor, decided that he's only going to charge him with one case, which is a good decision because he had enough evidence on that one case to secure a life sentence. But that meant that all the other um, concessions and pointing outs and etc. of the other cases was inadmissible in court. So most people don't know about that because it wasn't in the court case, but it's in the dockets and it happened. Now, the thing with Norman's Norman Simons is, I, I also talk about this in one of the series, I think one of the first or the second YouTube episodes. He's an ego dystonic serial killer, which means he cannot identify his own personality with being a serial killer. So for a short while, he confessed and he opened up. After that, he will never really admit it again. There's a psychological explanation for that. That doesn't mean he's innocent. He still did it, but he cannot associate himself with the fact that he did that. That is also why he said it was the voice of his brother in his head that made him do the killings, which was not a hallucination. He's not mentally ill. Very, very, very few killers, less than 1% are mentally ill. The rest of them are normal, ordinary mm. people, your neighbors. And that's one of the myths. There are several myths that I would like to debunk 
in the YouTube series. Speaking of debunking myths, um, a, a common misconception, Mickey, is that um, Oscar Pistorius is your nephew. It was widely reported at the time of his trial and that you were in court attending the trial. But that's not right, is it? No, it's not. Okay. Um, yes, I'd like to put this on record as well. All Pistoriuses are related to each other. All of them, no matter how distant the relationship may be. Okay. I've never met Oscar. I've never attended his trial. I am related to old Professor Kali Pistorius who was the, um, the vice rector of the University of Pretoria, and to his son, Professor Kali Pistorius, who was the rector of the University of Pretoria. And I know that for a fact, because the one is my father and the other one is my brother. <laughs> <laughs> and I also dedicated the book to my brother. All right. So I wish people would stop this thing about, are you related to us? What does it matter? It's irrelevant. So, so, Mickey, 25 years later, the book has been republished. Uh, there is now the Showmax series. There's the YouTube series. Um, Tell us a bit about where you are now in, in your life. Are you still involved in, in profiling? Are you still involved in, in um, teaching people about serial killers? What are you up to? I live in Mauritius and um, I have a private psychology practice there. I also present workshops, corporate workshops. I'm a neuropsychologist on emotional intelligence and motivating your, your managers, etc. I do all of that. Um, I also write a lot of archaeology and sometimes I take archaeology logical tours. I should have been in Iraq right now, but obviously we can't go. So I am quite busy. Yes, I also consult to legal departments. Um, I lecture to the to the state, um, the DPP department of, of um, the public prosecutor in Mauritius. Um, I'm available. I can, um, you know, help the legal profession, etc. Um, and sometimes I just lie in the sea. I do nothing. Because I'm an author living in Mauritius. <laughs> I want to be an author living in Mauritius. That sounds amazing. Mickey, thank you so much. Um, I know it's, it's quite rare for you to stick your head uh, above the parapet and, and to, to come and chat to us. So I really appreciate it. Thank you, especially for you. Thank you so much. Thank you for the listeners for listening. And all my love goes to the people in me. Dr. Mickey Pistorius, psychologist, profiler, author, uh, Catch Me a Killer. There's a whole generation of people that, that haven't read this book. So please, if you're interested, go and get it. It's uh, being republished and it's been updated. And then on Showmax as well, you can go and watch the TV series. It's called Catch Me uh, a Killer on, on Showmax. And then, of course, you can go and watch the YouTube channel in conjunction with that. It's called Mickey Pistorius, profiler on record. So if you if this is your thing, if you're interested in serial killers um this is uh, it's a must must read it's a must watch uh, and it's just uh, it's an absolute true crime classic in south africa this afternoon, the next instalment of Tinsualo from the President as he responds to the debate on the State of the Nation address. 